everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Rob Murgatroyd Show. Each week, I have conversations with some of the most fascinating people on the planet that can help you live a life of fulfillment. Speaking of fulfillment, if you want to hire me as your coach, head over to robshowcoach.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call to see if we are a good fit to help you create and design your dream life and business. That's robshowcoach.com. Before we get into today's episode, our next Work Hard, Play Hard Mastermind event will be in Dubai and Abu Dhabi for the F1 race on November 16th to the 19th. So look, these trips are designed to get you out of your day-to-day, around some amazing entrepreneurs and provide bucket list experiences that will have you coming home re-energized to grow your business and bring your life to a whole new level. Head over to workhardplayhardexperience.com and fill out an application. All right, let's jump into today's show. Every day I wake up, and I hope to pray that I don't go back to where I was. And so my mechanism of focusing on abundance, what is possible, hope and joy, is just to remind myself of the cognizance. For every reason, it can work. For every reason, this is good. For every reason that you never thought you would get to this place in your life and you are here now, hot dang, hot dang. You better express appreciation for what you have before you express appreciation for anything that you want or ultimately will get. Jasmine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Me too, man. We have so many mutual friends in common. And it's one you're mm-hmm. one of these interviews where I can't believe that we haven't connected. Um, I'm thinking Lewis Howes, Chris and Lori Harder. There's like this world that we both navigate in, but for whatever the reason is, the stars haven't aligned until today. So thanks for taking the time to do this. Well, it marks a very good day. I'm very happy to be here. Tell me why it marks a good day. Is it just because we're together or is there something really exciting happening today? Well, we started off this conversation right before you pressed record and you had asked me what is going to be a home run for you, which number one is very generous as a podcast host, because I know that your intention is to serve your listeners well. And my intention came up was like, Rob, let's serve people well. And in my mind, how, what a great gift, what a place of power that we get to come in and be like, how can we devise the most powerful, actual conversations that somebody walks away, not just feeling inspired because inspiration only takes you so far, but walking away, feeling motivated with a clear plan of action to change their life. And as a reason of changing their life, they can change their business. And I'm like, hot dang, I'll wake up every day and do that. And twice on Sunday. So, you know, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Awesome. All right. So we're going to jump right in, but I think a good place to start with you is culture. I, you know, I go with my intuition on these things. You are mm-hmm. a Latino, right? You are a Latino girl. You have a Mexican mom. You have a Puerto Rican dad. In what ways do you think being raised in that sort of environment, how do you think it's affected how you see the world today? Um, so just as a point of clarification, my dad is Mexican and my mom is Puerto Rican. So I got it backwards. Flip, but, but no, no, but that's okay, Rob, because the only reason why I'm saying that is because my dad and mom love listening to the podcast that I'm on and they're going to be like, why didn't you say something like that? You need to come correct. Okay, 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 okay. So I was like, this is my mom and dad. This is my mom and dad. Um, Sorry, how mom and culture, dad. How, 
No, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. So uh, culture played a role in shaping the way that I see the world. And it's been uh, for a long time, for a long time, I felt that there was a disparity or inequality. And while those could be the case, like a disparity and inequality in that whenever I walked into a room, let's say in college, anything past the point of high school, I noticed that distinctly I was one of the few women and very specifically one of the few people with melanin in my skin. And there was always like a, a but why, a but why? And now, now I feel that the thing that I once felt was a liability, it distinctly feels like an asset. Because if I am a small group of people representing what the differences could be in a room, that then is such a powerful place to be as long as as long as when you're stepping into the room, you're asking other ways and possibilities for people to get into that room as well. And so in my mind, how has culture shaped it? Well, my dad came from Mexico. My mom is from Puerto Rico. They met in East Los Angeles. And in my entire life, Rob, I never in my entire life ever considered that I can actually have a business. My greatest life's aspiration was quite honestly to be able to wear a pair of pumps and a leather briefcase and get in my Toyota Corolla and go into an office. Like I thought that that was the epitome because in my neighborhood, the people would bring like their children to the nannies in the neighborhood I grew up in. And we would watch our gardener fathers and our cook uncles and our mom housekeepers do the blue collar work that really kept Los Angeles as vibrant as it was. But in my mind, I had never seen a single person or known of anybody who had started a business. It was the equivalent of being like, go to the moon. And so it wasn't until I was 25, Rob, when I was 25, I actually realized I could start a business. That was crazy to me. That was crazy to me. And I think it's important for anybody listening is that my journey is about business, but it's not always about business. It could be, I want to write a book. I want to write poems. I want to be a public speaker. I want to be a baker. It could be a myriad of things that something you're like, I didn't know it was possible. So without culture, without age, without credence, without a system belief, that first moment of anything in your life is the moment of realization that actually you could do something, whatever it is. And so I'm very thankful that culture has shaped number one, the way that I walk into a room and want to advocate and ask for other representation in the room, because it's not enough to be alone in the room. And then secondly, culture, because I never saw it, it didn't seem like something. So culture now is like, I really do want to be an advocate for every woman in any space, but specifically for women of color to be represented in a space. And so I just talk openly about my journey. And you know, the goal for me is never to say, because I'm brown, we should be in the room. It should be, because I'm brown, we should have a conversation about what it means to be in the room. And that's kind of like a, a big stance of where I move toward my business and education. You know, it's interesting. Um, I grew up in New York and um, I grew up largely in a Puerto Rican neighborhood. And man, the parties, oh my God. Like it mm -hmm. was just crazy, right? There's, there's such a celebration of life, uh, regardless of whether or not you're successful or not. There's mm -hmm. amazing, you know, like I'm doing this interview now. I live in Florence, Italy, and there is, you know, like just walking outside the door, just, you know, the, the restaurants and the culture and, and all of that, it affects how you, how you feel mm -hmm. inside your body. So that's the reason why I asked that question. But I, I have a question for you around that, which is, you know, 
I'm, I'm writing a book now on nature, nurture, and neighborhood, right? You know, the, the way you're born is you know, sort of your nature. There's not a whole lot you can do about it. And nurture is how your parents raised you. You kind of can't undo that. And then neighborhood is, you know, where you live and how that affects you. But you went from a place of being in that environment to incredible success that is not indicative of the environment that you came from. So how did you find your way out of the area that you grew up in? And you, you know what I'm saying. And into, and into like, where, like, what was that, what was that moment where you peeked through the lens and you said, you know, I don't, I don't have to have, I'll keep the pumps, but I don't have to have the Corolla. <laughs> Do you, you know what I mean? I can have something different. Like where was that moment where you went, I can, I, I don't need, I, I can change this path. I think I, I, this question just, it kind of puts a lump in my throat because of the sacrifices my parents made on our behalf. And it does, there, there are multi-level layers of the decisions that my parents made that impacted our life. And it begins first and foremost, by my parents understanding that they were going to make a big sacrifice because the neighborhood we lived in was not a good neighborhood. It was not good for their children to go to school through metal detectors. It was common that at the local, uh, um, um, community carnival. There were a drive-by shooting. There, my mom threw herself on top of me and my sister in the single car that my family owned as she went to the post office and there was a drive-by shooting and she threw herself on top of us. And Jeez. so I just think that those situations really shaped the way that my parents saw the world. And so they decided to homeschool their children. That So homeschooling is a rarity. And specifically back then, it was more of a rarity, but specifically in the Latino community, very, very rare, but specifically for two parents who didn't have education, like they graduated high school. And then all of a sudden they're like, we're going to homeschool our kids based on what my father, who was a cook at a college, his income, which wasn't much. And that's it. And it was like by divine intervention that any leftover food from the cafeteria, my father was permitted to put into plastic bins and take home. And so that is what kept our family afloat for years. And so my mom homeschooled us until we were 14 years old. And, and I say us because I have a twin sister. And so she homeschooled us and like all of her five children until we got to high school. And when we went into high school, um, I poured myself into what I could control. And what I can control was not how smart I was, but how hard I worked to apply what I was learning. And so I ended up graduating with a 4.5 GPA. I got a full ride scholarship to college along with my sister. And I say this, Rob, not because I'm smart. I didn't learn how to read until I was almost 12 years old. I grew up wildly obese. I was always on the fringes. I was never the person that someone's like, that kid's going to do something great. It was actually quite the opposite. It was like, this girl has two left feet and iron lung and is like slow as all get out. And that's who I was. But I just realized that consistency, me applying what I was learning, consistency was beating talent and it was beating access and it was beating education and it was beating financing. I just realized that if I have the humility to show up every single day and do and take what I've been learning and apply it, then basically the sky's the limit. I went to college. I graduated summa cum laude, top of my class. I went to law school at UCLA Law School on an academic scholarship, all in the back of, I swear, hand to heaven, I'm not the smartest tool in the, sh I mean, the sharpest tool in the shed. 
It's simply that I'm like, I will be diligent to do the thing that I'm here to do. So at what point did something like a light bulb go on? Still been to this point, I'm in law school, no light bulb. I'm doing the thing that I need to do to get out of where I was. And for me, Rob, it was just, it was a singular focus. Get enough money to get from East Los Angeles to West Los Angeles. Get enough money so that the beat up, the beat up trucks and the Corollas, as you drove down the 405 and the, the freeway that bisects the city of Los Angeles into West LA, where the people and the cars look more European. I was like, it's just that. What it meant, I had no idea, but I was like, it's just a different zip code. That's where I need to be. Was your sister, <laughs> did your sister have that same drive? Uh, yeah, maybe not in the same, maybe not in the same flex, but absolutely like aspiration, upward movement. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Because it's interesting to me, you know, it, when you have people generally, not, not all the time, but when somebody breaks out of a situation, I don't care if you're, you know, a uh, upper middle class and you break out and you become, you know, an Elon Musk Correct. or your lower middle, like what any area where you break out of, I'm always fascinated to see what is, what is the drive that makes you say, I was meant for more. I was meant to drive that car in that neighborhood. I was meant to live in that neighborhood and not this mm -hmm. one. So the fact that you got out of it and went into law school is just such a testament to your drive. But more importantly to me, your parents' support in mm -hmm. just giving you literally everything they could from food to money to be able to get you out of it and into that place. You mentioned law school and you started law school and you decided this isn't for me. And you sort of like looked at it as the safe path. Can you describe how maybe through the lens um, of your mom's uh, brain cancer at the time, what led you to say, law school is not for me. I, I want to I, I live a happier life. Like why, why leave what could have been a path that could have changed everything for you? Um, so my mom was 50 years old when she had a relapse of brain cancer and I was 25 at the time. And it was as if I had a midlife crisis because the doctors told my mom when she was 50, that there was no, nothing else that they could do. She'd been on an eight year journey, eight and a half year journey with chemotherapy, two types of brain surgeries, radiation. It had been a long go. And they had said her time had come. And I realized quite honestly, in that moment, sitting at USC Norris hospital in downtown Los Angeles, that life is so short. And I actually realized that I wasn't running, I was sprinting towards something. I was sprinting out, but I didn't have a direction of where I was going. I just looked and said, get out. And it was at that time where you actually realize the fragility of life. And if you don't know what you're running to, you just end up exhausted and running in circles. And when my mom was in the hospital bed, she wasn't talking about everything she had done. She was talking about all the things that she had not done. She wanted to write a children's book. She wanted to um, visit Germany. She, um, or she wanted to go visit the Alps. She wanted to start a, a kid's choir at church. It was everything she hadn't done. And I thought to myself, I don't want to be at that time in my life. I want to look back if I'm ever as blessed and lucky and fortunate to be able to be cognizant in my last days to say, I tried everything I possibly could. 
and be okay with the perceived failures and be okay with the perceived successes. And it was at that time that I'm like, what are you doing? What do you want? Like, what is it? And I'm very thankful for my parents giving me the permission because when I told them, not giving me the permission, I was an adult. But I think that, you know, my parents hosted, my dad is a pastor in East Los Angeles and it's like a very, very simple church. And so one of his pastor friends had a different church that had a nice little like meeting room. And my dad was like, can my daughter, can we host my daughter's going away uh, party um, in this like MPV room, you know? And so my parents bring balloons, they bring in tacos. And it was this moment where they were just so, so proud and so excited as was I. And then like people from church came and the body was like represented and it's like, go and make changes. And when I sat across from my dad at a restaurant in West Los Angeles and we're eating a bowl of pasta and I'm crying and I'm like, I don't want to be in school anymore. My mom is dying. I'm so upset. I'm sad. And I don't want to die a lawyer. And I think that some parents might be tempted to say, well, you've worked so hard. This is the thing. Like you're already in it. Like just finish it and then see what happens. And my dad looked across from me and he's just like, Miha, quit. Quit. You're letting nobody down. You're letting nobody down. And I think that that says a lot about who my dad is and like what he wants for his children. And had he not said that, I don't think if my dad would have said, I think your mom would love to see you in school. I think it would mean a lot to the family. I think it would be a lot to the community. You've worked so hard. Just push through and then see what happens. I would have done it because I love and respect my dad and I trust his insight. And so for the fact that he trusted me enough to say like, you're going to make it work as a parent now to a daughter, like may that always be my mantra with her. Hey, it's Rob. I wanna jump in and take a quick second to say you gotta get a coach. It just makes a difference. A coach can offer you perspective and accelerate your goals so much faster. If you wanna work with me, head over to robshowcoach.com, fill out an application and we'll jump on a call. All right, let's get back to the show. Uh, you said so many things that are hitting me. You know, one of the one of the things is the the theme of the work that I do, whether it's this podcast or the events that I do, is that life is short, and uh, you, you got to live life now. And I try and be the embodiment of that, and I try and have people on the show um, like you. And I'm literally writing down the words that I use when I think about content that I create. And I just booked a trip. Um, I'm leaving next week for the Alps, you know? So I'm living in Italy because of everything we're talking about. I'm going to visit the Alps because of everything we're talking about. And whenever I get these like God winks, these little like words and these mm -hmm. chills that come in, I know I got the right person. So this is, this is great. This is, mm -hmm. this is exactly the message I want people to hear. So what a, what a great message. Mm -hmm. um, all right. I want to talk a little bit about happiness. Happiness is such a, it's one of those airy fairy words, right? What, like, what is happiness? Like, how do you describe it? Right. I do better when somebody asks me what, what excites you? Do you know what I mean? Cause I don't know, somehow it feels a little bit better, but happiness is so, but when you left and you said, Hey, law school's not for me. I want to do something else. that's going to make me happy. What, what did happiness this is a two part question. 
what did happiness look like for you then? And what does happiness look like for you now? Um, it's kind of a layered question, to be totally honest. So at the time, I was about 25 years old. And that was my first bout with depression. And it was clinical depression. I was be I went and met a doctor for the first time at UCLA. That was one of the perks of being at UCLA Law School is that you had access to UCLA Medical School, which is amazing. And um, it was really foreign. It's not something that I grew up talking about. I never even knew that therapy existed. Like I didn't, it was not even a thing that I would even know about. Um, not really talking about specifically, I can't speak, I'm not going to say in the Latino community, I would never say that, but I'm like, I can definitely say in my part of California, in this particular area, you weren't really talking about mental health or mental wellness. So when I had quit law school, happiness for me looked like not being depressed. And to me, that's pretty baseline. If your version of happiness is to not be depressed, you're kind of like in a really low spot. And I now know that there is a difference between situational depression and clinical depression. And situational depression is a good thing. It's divine. Being depressed is okay. It's a full gamut. There's no such thing as a bad emotion or a good emotion. There are just emotions. And so when we feel depression, we also feel like the highlights of the upswings of joy and happiness. And they're amplified only having experienced being bummed out about a particular thing. They work in conjunction. Humans are amazing and the brain is amazing. What happens with clinical depression is that you can't really get out of it. And it's um, your brain is trying to balance the chemicals that are in it. And so that happiness then looked like, can I just not be depressed? Hmm. And years, years of work, uh, I feel like I'm in a much better place. But And I know that it probably will rub certain people the wrong way and it probably won't resonate with people. But I can just describe my experience. It kind of feels like somebody who's going through sobriety if you had a life of being an alcoholic and then you choose sobriety is that you always feel like every day, it's just like you're one drink away from the downturn. Mm -hmm. And so every day now, what happiness looks like for me now is the ultimate and supreme cognizance of reminding myself what is bringing me joy in that moment. I am naturally hardwired to focus on things that would make me sad, make me scared because the fuel and the chaos is what actually pushed me out to pursue bigger things. But it became a drug. It became a poison that I was trying to drink, hoping that it would kill the fear. And in the process, it was killing me. And so now, I mean, Rob, I mean, like in the most granular way, like this morning I went on a walk and I was just walking in, I'm listening to a podcast and I just kept on walking and turned off the podcast. And I was like, this is joy. This is joy brain. This is joy. My daughter getting her dress today. She went to go visit her grandma. I'm dressing her and my husband's going to take her. And I thought to myself, my God, this is joy. Enjoying a cup of coffee. I was gifted this really fancy coffee maker. Oh, we, it is nice, Rob. I would never buy myself this coffee maker. I was gifted this coffee maker and I'm making myself a nice cup of coffee, cafe style coffee. I was like, man, this is joy. And so happiness for me now, which some people think, well, that's like a pretty dismal definition of happiness. You have to remind yourself, listen, every day I wake up and I hope to pray that I don't go back to where I was. And so my mechanism of focusing on abundance, what is possible, hope and joy is just to remind myself of the cognizance for every reason 
it can work. For every reason, this is good. For every reason that you never thought you would get to this place in your life and you are here now, hot dang, hot dang. You better express appreciation for what you have before you express appreciation for anything that you want or ultimately will get. Are you, you mentioned that you're naturally hardwired for depression, right? Did I understand that right? That your default, you lean that way naturally and that you have to. And the reason why I'm, the reason why I'm, uh, it's easy for someone to listen to this. My, here's my, here's my, my goal and my reason for this question. It's easy for someone to listen to this and feel that energy from you and feel like this is great. But then, you know, this podcast wears off and a week or two later, they're back in their head. And you, you mentioned the strategy in this where you interrupted the pattern and you looked at the coffee maker and you said, hold on a second, that's joy because this coffee is freaking amazing. I wouldn't have bought this for myself, but it's incredible. This podcast, this morning walk is incredible. My daughter right now in this moment is incredible. So what I'm hearing is that there's a strategy to get that old reptilian brain that wants to look for problems and find ways to interrupt the pattern and have it see the positive and not the negative. Is that the, my understanding that that's how you're, you're sort of like wrangling that monkey minds? Yes. And I think that when, when I say, oh, my, my brain is hardwired for X, I could say depression, joy, anxiety, chaos. I could have said anything. And so what happens is the minute we define, like my brain is hardwired for X, anybody who doesn't possess an identity or an affinity or an identification with X immediately says, well, that's for her. So instead I would take a bigger step back, a higher look view. Um, Dr. Carol DeWick wrote a book called Mindset. And in it, she defines you have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. And I think that's like a much better, better generalization for us having this conversation and like a quick 10 second uh, explanation of what a fixed mindset, a fixed mindset says, I am born this way. This is the reality of my situation. And this is how things are going to be. I play games only that I know I can win. I get very upset if I'm not part of the winning team or getting the most out of a slice of pie. A growth mindset is I want to play the game for the game, for the people I'll meet, for the lessons I'll learn, for the experience that I have. I want to experience things. And even if I am, if I've lost or if there's a failure, I'm looking for the lessons in it so that I don't repeat it in the future. When I read this book, I was like, oh my God, I am so fixed mindset. I hardwired to fix mindset. I play games that I can win. I'm a straight A student. I go out, you go out for the kill. You go out for the win. It's to build the biggest building. And if some point in time, you're not that boom, done. And so you become the victim of your own pretend standards that you're trying to build. So in this conversation, if you're listening and you're identifying with, oh, it's fixed. I can tell you that the, the work that I have done personally, individually, the books that I've been reading, I realized, and Dr. Carol Dweck says, you can change from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. Obviously, if you're born, your predisposition is growth mindset. And Rob, I can tell you, my daughter is two and a half and baby girl is growth mindset, is growth mindset, is growth mindset. And I'm like, thank you, God, that I could build on this foundation. It takes me years to unravel and unpack how I got to where I am. But now, 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 when we talk about how are we are hardwired and the, act, the active cognizance of, for me, saying this is joy, it's getting me one step closer to a, a growth mindset. Because like bad days are coming. 
Depressive moments are coming. Failures are coming. Mismanaged expectations are coming. So if we know that that's going to be the case, then the goal for us, if you're growth minded mindset would be, what am I learning? What will I not repeat? Who did I meet along the way? And then a deep seated belief that what we ultimately want will come when it's meant for us. So what is meant for me will find me. That has just been a big, big shift in the way that I'm approaching life and business. Explain that last piece a little bit more. What is meant for me will find me. Talk through that a little bit. I was at the time working with a really great therapist and I kind of felt like it felt like the opportunities that I wanted, the experiences that I wanted, um, even, even, Things like uh, an opportunity to be on a podcast or opportunity to write for a magazine or the opportunity to get noticed in an industry. It felt like despite my best efforts, you kind of felt like the kid that kept on getting uh, overlooked. You were never picked for the kickball team. And actually, I've come to realize that that truly was my reality as a child. I was always, always the wallflower. I was really, really, really overweight. I was never the kid that somebody paid attention to. And so the narrative that you shaped as a child was things are passing by me. Mm -hmm. I'm always going to get picked last. And if there is an odd number, I was always, well, Jasmine's the sub. And so, and so all of a sudden into adulthood and building a business, you kind of carry those patterns that you think the world is shaped by. Like, oh, I'm always overlooked for things. And it wasn't until my therapist looked across from me and said, what if you chose to believe? Because it's an active decision. Rob, I can take just as much energy, just as much energy and say, things are passing me by. Why am I always overlooked? It takes just as much energy for me to say, the right opportunities will find me at the right time. The right opportunities will find me at the right time when I'm ready. The reason I'm not getting these opportunities is because I'm not ready. So what do I need to do to get ready? And it's just been like a big shift. So me telling myself what is meant for me will find me. How's open this gateway that when I look at other people with these massive opportunities, doing these massively amazing things, like I'm that person's hype girl. Rob, now I'm like, did you see what he did? Did you see her? Did you see how much they got bought for that acquisition? Did you see that property that they bought and they were tripled in three years? Like, I am so happy for these other people because it took away. I'm no longer the victim. Nothing's passing by me. I didn't invest in that property. I didn't write that book. I didn't get on that podcast because it wasn't my time yet. And so all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just good energy that you put out. So when, not if Rob, but when. When I get to whatever it is, write the book, get on the podcast, get my business acquired, whatever, that other people will say, good on you, girl, because you were there for me, hyping me up. I'm going to be there for you, hyping you up. And their success, Rob, is proof of what is possible for me. Mm. And I'm like, hot dang, hot dang. We can end this right now if you want. That was damn good. Wow. Okay, I want to jump in for 15 seconds and say if you're an entrepreneur grinding away and not taking time to experience extraordinary things around the world with other entrepreneurs, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard Mastermind to Dubai on November 19th. Head over to workhardplayhardexperience.com and fill out an application. What I think people find so attractive about you is how much fun you appear to be having. So let's sort of start moving into your world now of social media. So when I watch your social, I see you having a good time. Like you're 
just dancing. You're having fun. I, I like, I want to be dancing with you. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, what, what is she doing up there? She's having a good time. How do you not focus on trying to sell something, trying to fill an event, trying to sell a course, trying to whatever business objective that you have, how do you separate the, because you, when you watch somebody's social media, you can, you know, the ones that are trying to sell a course, do you know what I mean? People always ask me about, you know what I mean? Like you're looking at it. You're like, no, they don't. You're just like, you're just trying to sell something. That's not what I get from you. I get value, value, value. Like this is how you make a real and, and like a crazy high value. Like, you know, like inserts with hit that button and then hit that button and use that. And this is going to make your life better. But there's, but I don't see these call to actions that are consistently bombarding your social. I see the opposite. I see fun. How do you focus on the fun and not, I I know that the end objective is to add value, but at the same time you have a business and you need to make money in the business. So how do you think about the fun part and the business part simultaneously? Does that make sense, the question? Absolutely makes sense. And I'm probably going to give an answer that might surprise a lot of people. It's not fun, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) It's not? You mean all that dancing and fun? It looks fun. And that's the goal. The strategy is to give people what they want on social media. And social media is the queen of escapism. So on social media, a viewer's objective is one of three E's. They want to be entertained. They want to be educated. They want to be empowered. My strategy is to hit one, two, or three of those elements every time I post or else the post doesn't matter. And the reason why people resonate with the content is because it doesn't smell. There's not a stink. There's not an odor. There is not the overwhelming stench of sales. It's not called sales media. It's called social media. I believe that I get sales on social media because I'm 95 and 96% social on social media. So the strategy is to create content that is entertaining, education, educating, or empowering. And if in the process, I'm creating content that is entertaining and it looks like I'm having fun, it's work, Rob. It's work. I will do things that aren't easy for me to get what I want out of life. That is the, the, the truest mantra of being an immigrant's daughter. I will do whatever I need to do to get to where I want to go. It takes me hours of batching that content and creating value-driven, value-driven, value-driven content again and again and again and again. And it is just the strategy. And I will tell you, Rob, on the days that I am creating those videos, getting out of bed is very hard. I don't wake up I'm like, it's Reels Creation Day. I'm so excited. I love creating. I love pointing and dancing. A year ago, Rob, I would have been like, Hell no. I'm not like this TikTok thing. Hell no. Never pointing. I, I'm a grown, I'm a grown ass business. Well, hey, and here I am. 
because the market's never wrong, Rob. I'm wrong. The market's never wrong. And so if we were to look at things statistically and analytically, and we see what is the most performing, the most engaging, it's almost ridiculous that we would look at the over index of engagement and say, nah, nah, you wrong. No, they're not wrong. So at the end of the month, I go back and I look at the analytics. This is very basic. What got the most likes, comments, saves. And then what I want to do is work backwards, reverse engineer. If the market, aka followers, have been most engaging with this type of content, I should go and try to duplicate it or replicate it in some capacity as proof that I can build consistent content that leads to conversations, comments, DMs, things that nature that would then lead to conversions. So my objective is to give value, 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 give, 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 give. And when the time comes for me to ask for the sale, people are primed for it in a different way because it didn't seem like I was constantly asking for it every step of the way. So we try to do a promotional period for social curator. I'm the CEO of a SaaS company. We provide resources for business owners to market their business. So far be it for me to say, this is what you should be doing, even though I'm not doing it. I am a practitioner. And then I'm looking at what's going on and then breaking it down and distilling it for business owners to actually show up with consistency because the consistent content leads to conversations and that's what leads to conversions. If you aren't getting people to engage on your post right now, you're going to have a hell of a time trying to convert to the sale. That's just it. It's just, it's just the way it is. Um, you mentioned a SaaS company. Tell me what it is that you do exactly. If you were at a cocktail party and somebody said, what do you mm -hmm. do? What would you say? We provide a way for business owners to post every day on social media and get sales. So think about this small business owner who's like, I'm wearing all the hats in my business and I feel tired, stressed, and overwhelmed marketing my business. Great. Our dream, our objective, our goal is somebody logs into Social Curator and then they're like, what do I want to post about today? Okay, well, I want to post about the benefits of my product or service. You would go into a caption template library and type in a keyword, maybe weekend plans, maybe holiday, maybe I'm having a sale. And then you get a bunch of caption templates that you look at and you fill in the blanks like Mad Lib style about you, about your business. These are all guided prompts. And then all of a sudden, your caption is fully complete. Now, if somebody's like, well, um, I don't have any photos to share of my business. Well, you can go over to a gallery of over 6,000 images and look, maybe I can find something that's related to what it is that I do. Or maybe someone's like, I really want to create a reel and I don't know how. Let me go and look at a litany of tutorials that are on the inside. Maybe you want to update your LinkedIn header and you're not quite sure to do it. We have a tutorial on how to do that. And then you can use our images to color, cut, cut it, brand what your header is like. Got Perhaps it. you're like, I, so we're basically like, stop giving us excuses. We're going to give you reasons why you're in the market and we're going to make it easier and faster for you to do it. Got it. All right. So as we wrap up, I want to ask you a few questions. You're going to be like, why is he asking me these weird questions? Just roll with it. Okay. What do people often get wrong about you? That I'm an extrovert. Mm. Are you situationally extroverted? You're extroverted when you need to be? No, I'm an outgoing introvert. So I, at, the, at the risk of not wanting to make somebody else feel uncomfortable, I'm okay in silence. In fact, I prefer it. Like I know I'm with really good company when we can both be silent, doing our own thing and be okay with each other. Got it. But I think that people, that makes people uncomfortable. So I will be, uh, I will be conversational. Um, would need, but I'm like on a level, like one to 10 introvert, I'm a 12. 
wow, that is definitely mm-hmm. not what I would have mm-hmm. said. Okay. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you're doing in your business right now that you really don't love? You know, it's just, you have to, you, right now you're, you're just doing it because you need to, but you don't love to do it. I'm in a lot of meetings. I'm in a lot of meetings and I created a 12 month plan on how to get me out of the meetings. <laughs> what new behavior or habit has most improved your life? A daily gratitude practice. It, it literally takes like 30 seconds. I just write three things that I'm grateful for. What is an unusual or absurd thing that you love? Somebody would look at you and go, well, that's really weird. She likes that, huh? What's something unusual or even absurd, but you love it? So Rob, I don't watch television. I'm not like the Netflix guru. I don't want really watch like The Bachelor. It, so when I say this is unusual, I'm obsessed with this terrible, terrible show called 90 Day Fiance. And it just chronicles, it just chronicles like people coming from different countries, like getting married under the pressure of 90 days. It is the lethal concoction of this is a hot mess and I can't stop looking at it. So it's the, of all the things, Rob, of all the things. I'm like, oh. Yeah. It's amazing. It's actually become TLC's primary product. There's everything. There's 90 days away and Schmay. Oh, yeah. Schmay and oh, yeah. Like oh, they yeah. got 30 shows. It's incredible. Um, it is. If you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Uh, this is so hard. Okay. I think, I think, I think, and I reserve the right to change it. But my husband and I love Cabo Simicus. It feels like a division of like our souls are there. And when we want to fully unplug, we go to Cabo. And so that's part of the reason why if we can go one month and I feel like I'm saying this because I'm kind of at like a really stressful part in my life. And I'm like, escapism at its finest Cabo. Um, If, if, if at a different point in time, there's a good chance, there's a good chance at the end of next month, I would probably say my husband and I would go to the outskirts of Paris uh, we want our daughter to experience a European um, culture shift in how she sees and experiences the world. So sometimes, and this is like a little bit off topic, but I've been practicing doing a med- like a meditation in the morning. And this, this, this vision, this idea came so crystal clear for me, Rob. I'm, we're sitting in Paris. And the reason why I know it's Paris because we're being surrounded by lavender fields and it's like an old chateau. And then in the back is like almost like an infinity pool, but it has like kind of like not, not cobblestones, but like wide stones around it. And the kitchen is old, but so endearing. My husband loves to cook a lot of ke- po- copper pots in the house and like true linen towels. And I pictured, I saw my daughter in the pool and my husband outside with a glass of wine. And I'm working, Rob. I love to work. I'm a, I'm Seabiscuit. I love to work. Now, what I would like to do is to empower a lifestyle for me to work less, work hard, work good, and then find that balance of being fully present with my family. But it came very clear to me. So I said, that's the vision. I'm working towards that vision, which goes back as a nice little bow to the previous conversation is I was sprinting, Rob, when I was 25 and I didn't know what I was running from. I just didn't know what I was running to. And now later in my life, I'm like, I know what I'm running to now. And every day when I wake up on the good days and on the hard days, and there's been a lot of hard days, Rob, there's been a lot of hard days lately, but I wake up and I'm like, let's work towards that. And so- yeah, that's a vision. That's amazing. Um, just as a side note, I had a similar vision around Italy, um, but be careful. Be careful with those visions because they can actually become true. And then my, <laughs> my, 
now my now my seven year old is going to school in uh, the hills of Tuscany uh, from that vision. So uh, it's kind of amazing. amazing. Last question. Last okay. question. We're going to change it up a little bit. What one question would you like to ask me? Hmm. What is one thing that you hope somebody takes from this podcast episode that could potentially change their day or their life? I, for me, it was, uh, well, I can tell you for me, and I hope that uh, there's a million things, but the one thing for me is that I had a story in my head that you just wake up, put your makeup on and go dancing. And then, you know, you just have a life that you just, you know, you're just making great videos and, you know, I don't know, sitting in the pool in the backyard, having fun all day. Um, but you dispelled it and you said, no, 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 it's, this is a strategy. This is a business. This is a science. I don't love it. I do it because it's, it, the market has spoken and this is the way, um, the year 2023 works in the way of marketing. So for me, that gave me permission to say, one is it's okay that this is work. It may not, it's, it looks different than working in a cubicle, but it's still work. And two is there's an icky, smelly, stinky thing when it comes to selling. Um, people, they feel it and they taste it. So for me, those two things um, have incredible value. So I know you have to jump. So I'm going to let you jump. This was incredible. I cannot thank you enough. Um, any final words, suggestions, or asks uh, for pe- for the people that are listening? Well, first and foremost, I'm think I'm very thankful that the stars aligned that this conversation happened when it did. It, it was it has been a long time coming, and so I just want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to look back at my experience and fully articulate the decisions that I made to bring me to where I am today. Um, I love connecting on social media. I do write, create all of my own content, and I respond to DMs on Instagram. So feel free to DM me and let me know that you listened to this podcast episode, and let's make sure and support Rob doing what Rob does really well. So thank you guys so much. All social platforms at Jasmine Star. Amazing. Jasmine, thank you so much. I appreciate you. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.